America, my name is I'm Yosef Frimpong, and today we're going to talk about reopening public schools and when to do so and why to do so. And I think it's an issue that's low-lying in a lot of people's imagination, but since we don't talk about... Uh, since we consider schooling a family issue and we don't talk about school families in public discourse because it's rude, apparently, everyone's just kind of sheltering this anxiety over what to do and why and what it means with themselves, which means they're making themselves confused and probably drinking more than they should. I don't know, but I'm going to hash all of the moving parts out here, including what public education means for your family, what it means for your life as a civilian, and, and what it means for your... Uh, ability to govern as a citizen. And those are three different things. I'm going to explain the distinction in a moment. But we have to understand that there are plots to take out public education. There are plots to take out public education. And those plots don't go to sleep because of COVID-19. Instead, those plots to take out public education will use and weaponize COVID-19 and the pandemic in order to tank the idea of public schools. So fundamentally, we have a we have a centralization problem. We can't get 25 to 30 bodies in one room without risking contagion. So it's a density problem. A density problem. We solve the density problem, we've figured out a way to solve public education. So right now we've solved the dis density problem by privatizing uh, public education to you know, individual households. And that's a primitive solution for a, a few different reasons, even if we try to do it online. But understand that it's a density problem. And the moment we stop thinking of it as a density problem is the moment that we might stop thinking of what public education does. So I'm going to hit the intro, and then I'll see you in a few. To the beach, Never change the ways for the world or the government. If it was the president, then I would state facts. You leave it up to me, I paint the White House black and it can feature in your front. So we have a density problem in public education. We can't open up the buildings because too many students go to the same place and it will infect the entire United States given our infrastructure. And we just haven't designed schooling or our civil society or even our political society for not being able to interact with each other. And since freedom comes through interpersonal interactions, we need to think about different ways to interact with each other and the limits of the kind of interactions we've normalized. And if you don't think that freedom comes between interactions, just think about your interaction with a tiger versus your interaction with like a person who, you know, like, like those are qualitatively different interactions. And because of the nature of the tiger versus the freedom of a person, you get to like do different kinds of things with a person that you can't do with a tiger, right? So our freedom is externalized through our interactions, but COVID-19, substantively constrains the quality of actions that we can engage in. So in lieu of this, we have a few options, right? People are talking about online schooling where everyone does it online at their home, but that is presupposes that everyone has uh, internet. And then they're like, well, okay, we can't assume everyone has internet and devices and everything works and it's quiet. Some houses are not conducive to learning. <laughs> like they are loud. I, I go out of my way to make sure that my house isn't loud, but it's because I've been to other houses that are very loud. 
is one reason why a university classes where you just ship everyone at home presupposes that I don't know everyone who goes to a university can, like has a home where that's quiet and has a dedicated space to study so I don't think any, I don't take any of that for granted so I like dedicated spaces to do dedicated things and homes especially apartments they're just you don't have space to do what you need to do you don't have the quiet the secured quiet to do what you need to do um so that presupposes that everyone has it pretty much online learning assumes that everyone lives in uh, a white flight suburb right like that's the presupposition and of course <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah the people who think that oh yeah this is a great solution are always like middle class white people so it's obviously it's anyone who actually cares about the populace being educated uh, understands that that is a that that is an unworkable solution for a, if you care about public education as education for democracy, right? And public education is education for democracy because you don't come out fully formed, know how to acquit yourself in a way that makes you a responsible family member, a responsible person in civil society, and civil society. I'm going to use this term often throughout the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. That's just our market-based um, market institutions of interaction. This includes like the labor market and then going to Kroger and getting that market. So the idea is that in civil society, we've organized our voluntary associations such that um, uh, we all produce for each other and, and sell what we produce. Right? So we consume what other people produce for us and we um, produce stuff, including our own labor, to sell on this market. Right, So that's our civil society. Right, And in order to actually fit into the civil society, you need some sort of technical knowledge. You know how to read, write, not just read, write, and um, do math, but also... You know, it's nice to know if you know how things work. That's why we teach science. It's also nice if you know how to actually treat other people. That's why we teach his, like you know the history and humanities. It's nice to know. It's nice for you to work in civil society if you are a, a, a functioning, thoughtful person. Uh, so like this is one of the things that is taught in public education. What should be taught in public education to the extent that it is, is, and I have my own issues with public education, That's, um, but I know that in order for it to be an education for freedom, it's got to include that. And then lastly, it also has to deal with our political freedom, right? So that's where you learn how to be a citizen, how to solve problems with strangers that you didn't volunteer for, that you just, <laughs> neighbors that you don't like, right? And then what we don't talk about, it also tells you how to be a, a good family member. It's not obvious how to be a good family member because all these actual um, uh, spheres of freedom, freedom as a civilian, freedom as a citizen, freedom as a family member, those all have to interact because if you have a, a, a poorly put together family, you're not going to be able to participate in civil society. It's going to constrain you. This is one of the problems with uh, like oppressive marriages, right? Like if you're in an oppressive marriage, it's going to screw up how you participate in civil society. And um, as an individual, you know, they're going to say like, you can't get a job or you should dress like this. Like it's going to screw up your interaction in civil society. But if you have an oppressive family relationship, it's also going to screw up a, your um, your ability to participate as uh, a responsible citizen, right? If you have a screwed up family, that means you're going to make screwed up. <laughs> you're going to support policies that like might screw up everyone else's family, right? So, 
or and everyone else's ability to participate in civil society. Uh, and if you have a screwed up family, you have to understand that in civil society, let's say you have a screwed up family, uh, you're under the thumb of your husband and you go out and get a job and someone else who looks very similar to you is a candidate for that same job. And then the person who's hiring has to decide. And then the third person who's a candidate for that job is like some dude who, you know, looks like he runs his household with an iron fist. So the person hiring for that job, are they going to hire the person who at any point in time could go home to a husband who says, well, you got to quit now and be home for the family. Are they going to hire someone who looks like, <laughs> who isn't that way and has a cool husband, but looks like someone who could have a jerk husband. So like you never know and you can't ask, so is your husband a jerk? Or you're just going to hire the dude. If you're the hiring manager and you know that you have to uh, spend $100,000 training this person over six months to do this job, you're going to just hire the dude because it's a safer risk for your fiduciary responsibility as a hiring manager for, for the firm and the shareholders. All right, so the... I don't know if my audio has always been out. I, like, it's a question. How much did you guys get me? Okay. I hope that you all have enough of me. Uh, well, I, 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 I think, I think we're, I think we're good. All right. So, uh, if you have a screwed up family, I was saying a lot of very important things. I don't know how much you missed, but I think it was good. Anyway, but if you have a screwed up family, you're going to have screwed up. Uh, it's going to screw up civil society for everybody else who's not even in your family. And it's going to screw up the political life of the people who have to, unfortunately, share power with your spouse. <laughs> right? So, um... So this is all stuff in public education like is supposed to teach you how to be free and, and teach you how to be free with other people and what that means in structured interactions, right? So what we have is a density problem. So we cannot, we cannot responsibly um, have so many bodies in a room. I almost wish this had happened before the advent of the internet because then we would clearly understand that as a density problem. And we would just like decentralized public education because that's that's what we need to do ultimately is decentralized public education um uh so that you only get you know 10 students <laughs> 10 students a teacher a paraprofessional in a room and if everybody had that that'd be fine and especially in elementary school that would actually be easy to do if we just get aggressive and looking at all of the uh you know storefronts all of the malls all of the churches just leasing out spaces and just decentralizing um uh, public education and we can't do that we could actually we even have the reserve army of logistical experts because there are so many county employees and municipal employees and library employees who are sitting at home furloughed who could be making the phone calls and um putting together the spreadsheets to lease out space 
because that's what we need. We just need space and we need the logistics. So we could spin up or draft all of these furloughed employees to work out the logistics and then have like, you know, the person who used to be the library now get like reconstituted as a building manager who pretty much checks students in in the morning and, uh, you know, kind of cleans up and coordinates the, the, the delivery of, of lunch and then check students out at the date at the end of the day. And that's their job. Now, instead of being a librarian, they're the business manager at, you know, uh, the building manager, the de facto building manager at like whatever school. And that allows the assistant teacher and the teacher to teach. And yeah, so we actually have the logistics to handle this if we thought of it like, uh, um, a density problem. So, but we've lost the ability to think of political problems as political problems because we've, we, I mean, neoliberalism is the extension of market principles to all aspects of life. So, in a way, we've always, or not we've always, we've become, arguments have said since either Clinton or Reagan, kind of neoliberals. And so far as we don't think of public problems as public problems, we always try to privatize it. And so now we've privatized the public education problem because instead of understanding it as a public problem, we've now like put this impossible decision onto parents about which one of these awful options they should choose. When we could have actually just thought, all right, we need to decentralize public education, make sure that there are no more than 15 people in any rooms. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, you know, this... We have a lot of developed space <laughs> that's just sitting fallow in America that actually like is two weeks away from being a functional classroom. Um, and so that could be our great public works proje project that, that we could, could have been preparing but didn't. And I think that's, that's unfortunate. And we could still do it if we actually understood this as a public problem, as a density problem. And when I was thinking this through, I thought of this scene from Apollo 13. First of all, um, you know, I did watch a lot of television as, as a kid and pretty much the last 15 minutes of every A-Team episode and MacGyver episode was pretty much MacGyver trying to figure out how to get out of a hard situation based on what he had. Like, I wish we had that kind of sensibility and were more political MacGyvers because if we just boiled this down to a density problem and understood it as a density problem, we would have gotten out. But And we just like, okay, we have empty buildings, we have furloughed employees and administrators, and um, we just have to uh, get these people calling around to these buildings and figure out a place and get the teachers on board and figure out a way that each teacher now has a teacher, a parapro, a paraprofessional or assistant teacher, and 10 to 12 kids in a room. And that would pretty much solve our, our, our density problem. We'd have to work around buses and lunches, but like all of these are logistical. These are, these are Super Bowl problems. We put a person on the moon. We did that. In, if you can put a person on the moon in 10 years, you can figure out how to decentralize public education in like four months, especially since we have the buildings. You're not, we, don't even, we wouldn't even have to build too many buildings. We, we have the capacity. Right. So this is the scene from, from Apollo 13 that I was thinking of. Gene, we have a situation brewing with the carbon dioxide. We had a CO2 filter problem on the lunar module. Five filters on the limb. Which are meant for two guys for a day and a half. So I told the doctor. You're already up to eight on the gauges. Anything over 15 and you get impaired judgment, blackouts, the beginnings of brain asphyxia. What about the scrubbers on the command module? They take square cartridges. The ones on the limb are round. 
Tell me this isn't a government operation. This just isn't a contingency we've remotely looked at. Those CO2 levels are going to be getting toxic. Well, I suggest you gentlemen invent a way to put a square peg in a round hole. Rapidly. Okay, people, listen up. People upstairs, Candidates this one, and we gotta come through. We gotta find a way to make this fit into the hole for this. Using nothing but that. Let's get it organized. Okay, okay, let's build a filter. The deadly CO2 gas is literally poisoning the astronauts with every breath in and out. Heads up, people, look out now. What's this? That's what they gotta make. Well, I hope you got the procedures for me. Right here. That's it? Affirmative, Andy. Uh, Jack's got one right here. Okay, we have a uh, an unusual procedure for you here. We need you to rip the cover off. I want you to rip the cover off the flight plan. With pleasure. All right, now the other materials you're going to need here are uh, a lithium hydroxide canister to two lithium hydroxide. So yeah, it wouldn't. You'd need just a fraction of the ingenuity that we already have, and can't apply to other kinds of problems. But we don't have the quality of political, you know, wherewithal and the commitment to public education, honestly, to figure it out. Because we have the resources to hire the contractors to develop all of these storefronts and 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 uh, spin up the the furloughed employees to to make leasing arrangements with the churches or convention centers, the entire hotels that know that their business is going to take a dip for at least a year that I, that have conventions that have either convention centers or conference rooms that are just going to be laying fallow. Right. So one of those could just be dedicated for an entire year into a classroom. Boom. We have a density problem, right? But we don't want to think of it as a density problem because honestly, the people with means my kids will be fine. I mean, I have three of them. I also have a ton of degrees and uh, am pretty patient with them. So like my kids will do just fine. People with means will do fine, either homeschooling them. Well, not, they might not do fine, but they're up to homeschooling them. And the kids aren't going to suffer. Some of the parents will for reasons we will talk about later. But and then the people who want to destroy public education, because they know that with an educated populace, it's harder to secure power, and like, and they're less, they're more susceptible to propaganda. Uh, the people who want to actually keep the people stupid, that's great. And the people who want to keep the people stupid have friends in the tech industry, so that they can just like you know put them in front of an online program. And make no mistake, these online programs don't teach themselves. You can't gamify everything you need to be. Uh, a good person, right? You can gamify some of it, but pretty much these online programs, I'm not going to use them. I'll just, I, I have other curriculum. Trust me, my kids will be fine. Uh, I, but these online curriculums, they need someone who actually is going to work with the student through them. You can't just assume that you can just put a seven-year-old in front of a computer and then, oh, boom, I don't need first grade anymore. Uh, that's a con, right? So it's going to always come back to the parent who's going to have to take time to actually be with the student as they work through their online material. 
So you're pretty much drafting America's parents to be teachers. Also, in addition to like, you know, you're not giving them a rent subsidy because of like, like so like people are gonna have to quit their jobs in order to teach their kids. And there needs to be some sort of conversation about how that works. So there are three models being floated around right now. There are the, there's the online schools where everyone goes online, but not everyone has online access or, and those online curriculum also presupposes that someone's there working with the students. And that means a lot because let's be honest, my mom couldn't, dad, my mom, they probably couldn't help me with math path about seventh grade. And, uh, you know, I, that's just how it is. And I'm not the only one, right? So who's going to thrive in that environment? People with, with, with parents who've done a lot of school, right? Or people with parents who could hire tutors to come in and teach their kids. Because that's what's going to happen. A lot of parents are just going to hire tutors because you're going uh, to have a lot of college students who need money. And they will just hire one-on-one -on -one tutors to come teach their kids because they have money. Because that's what you can do when you have money. You can hire people to handle your problems for you. And what modernity is supposed to do is all this division of labor and division of responsibility. It's supposed to be equalized and socialized so that everyone has the same access and can be free. But instead, the wealthy will be able to hire tutors, will be able to divide out that labor, hire tutors to come teach their kids, or will just know enough to teach their kids themselves while, uh, you know, working at home on Zoom, uh, you know, for a good salary. Right? And it's just going to make all of, it's going to make the knowledge divide and the skill divide even wider in a way. And I think that's, that's unfortunate. And, but it's also by design. Right? So um, what does that mean for the students, online education? It means they're not going to learn. <laughs> they're, not, they're simply, they, they, they're not going to learn. We're taking a year off. They're not going to learn. They're not going to keep it up level. You're assuming that the, unless the parents are also are like committed to going to school with the children, but parents also have other responsibilities and they should have other responsibilities, right? So what does uh, in-person uh, mean what, for the students, mean to the students? Well, what does it mean to the students? I, I have this worked out. I'm a systematic philosopher. So I have, what does it mean to the students as family members? What does it mean to the students as civilians? What does it mean future civilians? And what does it mean to the students as citizens? So what does uh, in-person schooling mean to the students as family members? One, if your kid's going to school, they're going to get the whole family sick, right? So the kid goes to school. There's an infestation that breaks out. Um, or, uh, yeah, and, and, and uh, infection breaks out um, throughout the school. Kids come home, the whole family's sick. Boom. Right? So it, it, this, it'll turn the students into vectors for the family. Right? And then what does it mean for this? And then you have hybrids. And then uh, what does it mean for the, for the students as civilians? Well, if our schools are supposed to teach kids how to work with... Um, uh, other people and like hold jobs and stuff like that. I don't know if they learn that online. <laughs> I don't know if they learn that online. I don't know if they, they and in person, once again, I, I, I don't see that being particularly good because they're going to die. And in hybrid schools where students come in one day and come out the other one, like there's no work schedule that works with that. So it, it's again, it's, it's these hybrid models presuppose that one, people have universal childcare that's in a safe environment and um, or that a parent just stays home 
and is competent staying home. Like that's that's a big or and if. Right? So I happen to have a really good situation because I'm a grad student and I'm blocks away from a very hermetically serious and sealed childcare. Right? So I can teach my kids in the morning and then drop them off in the afternoon uh, while I do my work and then pick them up in the evening, knowing that they'll come back safe. Right? So that and that's all like within walking distance from me. So you know, I made decisions about my life. So I've kind of organized, but like it happens to be pretty COVID proof. Um, so like I'm in a peculiar situation. I'm not under the illusion that anyone is like too many other people are under are in this situation. And since I'm a care about democracy, it would have to be everybody in this situation. And I don't think everyone is in this situation. They don't have a job where they can like teach their kids in the morning. They don't have a daycare that's affordable blocks away that they could drop their brood off um, for lunch and then come back and home and, and do work for the rest of the day and then pick them up. Like not everyone is, is similarly uh, enabled, right? So, and then what does it do for citizens? I think honestly, the online model, and we don't talk about this enough, I don't think it gives you a sense, uh, there is a sense of the public that's transmitted through public schools, that the public works, that the government is ours, that the government is us. And we're not just like a bunch of uh, tribes <laughs> individually. Um, and and I, that's not committed to online school. And then at the upper, and then the extracurricular activities like plays and you know, I was a classical musician for a stretch. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I would do if, like, I didn't. Now I'm not allowed. If I were, you know, 15, I wouldn't be able to play soccer or play in an orchestra. And those are rather formative adventures in what it's like to actually be with people in public, like, and, and go for a public purpose that were enabled by a school. And now that's not. Now that's not the case. And I think that we underestimate what kind of sociopaths that America already produces and now will produce more um, now that they're isolated with parents who might have dubious morals themselves, right? So for the students, I don't think online is particularly good. Um, and I don't think in-person is particularly good until we uh, actually dis uh, decentralize, decentralize schools especially in elementary school. This, like, this could have been in the works for four months. We could have done it. We could have done it. We could have converted storefronts, leased out church rec rooms. We could have, like, the hotel conference halls. We could have done it. Nobody's going to tell me that we couldn't have. We just didn't because we didn't have a public, public sense. And a lot of people, low-key, want to destroy public education. Right? So now you have mutual aid societies gonna that are going to try to do this. I know. Good luck. I think mutual aid societies are fantastic. The Black Panther, um, both Hamas and the Black Panther Party, when mutual aid societies like mutual aid societies can can do a lot of this work, but that's a lot of unregulated work. Um, I like professionals doing professional work. So, what does this mean for parents? What does this mean for parents? All right. So, if, for parents, online schools. Parents, as family members, it means that you are a full-time family member now. Once again, modern society, we've divided a lot of work and responsibility so that you can have your kids away for a while so that you could actually rejuvenate. You could read a book while your kid was away. And then when your kid comes back, you're probably a better parent because you weren't doing it all day. I know a lot of parents have become a little bit snappish because of the COVID-19 uh, restrictions, 
right? That's not going to get better after a year of of homeschooling. And make no mistake, you didn't have a kid because you had the disposition to actually teach your kid. You had a kid because you had sex. So these are two different skill sets. <laughs> you were able to have the quality of sex that produces a kid. That doesn't mean that you actually were trained to homeschool your kid, especially in a society that was, it was presupposed that there was this thing called school that would teach your kid things, right? So as a family member, it means that, it, and this is gonna disproportionately affect women. It, I like, not in my household, cause my wife works and I, I, I have a looser schedule. And you know, honestly, I'm just better with the kids. So, um, but this is in general going to disproportionately affect women who are going to either quit their jobs or now just become full-time mothers. So if I were you and watching this, I would buy stock in antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicines because like Americans aren't built for the kind of stress for this. And it's going to screw up the parents as civilians because one of the freedoms you get as a civilian is that you can divide up some of the family labor and, you know, work a job, right? You can, you can now like go out and be your own person in civil society, but you can't do that now because you have a seven-year-old and a six-year-old and a nine-year-old to, to, to deal with um, and to constantly watch and to constantly try to enable their freedom because like it's not just that you're watching them do whatever. You have to actually like actively now create infrastructures for meanings for their lives, which is a whole job creating infrastructures of, of, for meaning in like a nine-year-old's life. Right. Uh, and anybody who, you got to understand, I'm like from the, like the, my dad's Ghanaian and I, I, I just, I'm, I'm like the Richard Williams, Joe Jackson type of dad. I know they, they get, they, there are a lot of people say that, uh, they get bad press, but like any black fathers know that like, you know, there's this tennis family out in uh, Michigan. I can't think of their name, but apparently they, their dad did a job on them too. I'm that kind of dad. So like I take, I take being a dad seriously. Um, so I actually know that it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And like, I, I, like I said, my dad's from Ghana. So like he came in and watches Amer white Americans and he just thinks that he thought before he died that they were just kind of, lazy and confused and a little bit stupid so like I, I like i know what i'm doing um but that means i also know that it would i couldn't both do the kind of parenting that i'm going to have to do for the next year and you know another whole career right so as a civilian my freedom because i'm a parent now has been curtailed right so once again this should have triggered a political response insofar as our government's supposed to secure our freedom to uh, come up with a plan to decentralize schools. And then now as a citizen, right? So can I still act as a citizen while I'm fully preparing, um, uh, uh, fully teaching my, 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 my kids? Well, first of all, this was a political problem. So we already failed as citizens. By the time this decision comes to individual parents, what they should do, whether they should go online which I'm not going to do. I'm just going to have my own curriculum. I've researched your curriculum. Trust me, my kids are fine. Or go in person and just infest the whole um, world. Or do the hybrid model, which means that you can't functionally do anything um, as, a, as, a, as a civilian. 
Like this should have been a political problem, but instead we've privatized it. Now every family's making pretty much an impossible choice. But for the record, parents, this is your choice. Do not push this kid, this choice on your children. That's being a bad parent. I know liberal parents are kind of like, I made her decide or, or she wanted to decide. No, you're a parent. This is your decision. You got to look at your kid, talk with your kid a little bit, like about like, you know, their aspirations and how it's fit. But mostly you just have to pay attention to your kid and know what's best for your kid because you are the parent and you know the world that you're parenting them into and then uh, make the decision on their behalf. That, so don't let these liberals say that, well, you just listen to what the kid wants and let the child drive the learning. Yeah, you know what? The people who do that and ha are successful like have parents who are PhDs because the parents are quietly driving the education. Um, and they're just pretending that the, that, the, that the kids are. Right, so, and then what does it do for the teachers? So if you're a teacher in school, you're going to get sick, you're going to bring it home as a family member. So you're, it's going to, if you're a teacher, reopening schools are going to make you a bad family member. If you're a teacher, uh, reopening, uh, online education or reopening schools is going to make you a bad teacher. Because you can't, communicate the quality of content you need you're kind of participating in a racket now and and if you were a lot of you white teachers are participating in rackets as we speak but now it's even more of a racket because we can't even pretend that you're that you that you're actually doing the job that you need to do um under the circumstances and like i don't i don't know if it's it should be like the casualness with which we're opening up schools and expecting teachers to get COVID, I just don't think it's, you need hazard pay. <laughs> we need to talk, start talking about teachers' hazard pay. They should get hazard pay, double it. Double the teacher's salary as, as hazard pay because we're pretty much damning them to COVID. So there you go. And uh, especially, I mean, if you're teaching kids, that means first graders, second graders, they're not going to wear masks. All right, so and then as citizens, teachers just need to organize and lobby, right? So, um, yeah, so that's 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 what's at stake for for um, students, students as family members, students as civilians, or future civilians, and students as future citizens. Is that gonna? Are you really going to be trained for that online or um, while you're constantly scared about COVID? And then online with a parent who's anxious about like everything else in their life that you're screwing up by not being in school. What does this mean for parents, parents as family members who now are full-time family members, parents as civilians who no longer can work, can no longer actually participate in civil society and parents as citizens, um, you know, who now have to take on that, that, that private role. The, in, instead of um, who like the government has said like you decide which one of these crappy options as opposed to alright let's come together and figure out a plan to decentralize schools right and then this is all just a, a, a strategy to just blow up public education if we go as, as, as it stands right and then what does it mean as teachers teachers as family members who now through their civil job as a teacher is going to come home and infect their whole family what does it mean as teachers as civilians who can they actually do their job? I mean, if you're a coach, no, there's no more teams, right? So like these are another reserve employees who we could, um, coaches could now become building managers, um, like be leased to the local elementary school as building managers for like the church that they've leased 
Um, and we, we we print money to do this if we were serious. We printed trillions of dollars for like larger corporations. So like we could just print money to uh, to keep the money through the system and keep people employed productively, decentralizing schools. Right, and then what does this mean for teachers as citizens if they don't have any say in their, you know, how they, how they now have to, like how the government is pretty much making them do their job. Right? And then what does this mean for non-parent civilians, right? What does this mean that we're now, let's say this happens for three years. That means in three years, like for three years, we're going to deal with a whole group of people who are taught by their awful parents. Or, like, and people say, oh, you don't know their parents awful. Yeah, I do. I know parents. They're not up to this job. They weren't trained for this job. So, and like the problem with parochial parents is that they don't know enough and then they're going to get insecure about all the things they don't know and then just put their kids in front of TV and uh, the internet. And, you know, that's not going to produce a quality of person that I'm going to, I'm going to need to work with when they get older in 15 years. So it's going to be great for the upper crust. It's, and, but it's going to, and like, you know, all these, then you got these weird Christian parents who already have issues. Like, so weird religious parents who already, like, aren't the best people in civil societies and aren't the best citizens. They're going to reproduce, like, bigots in ways that are really unbecoming. Because <laughs> that influence was mediated by, like, the student going to school and having to deal with other people, right? So now the parents are going to pick little other parents in their own little, you know, bigoted pod, and it's going to be a disaster, right? So it's not particularly good. And the parents don't know all the technical ed ed um, information that the students are going to need in order to, you know, be technically savvy in, in a world where you need expertise to do things, right? Like there are no shop classes. You can't assume that every, I mean, I grew up in a household without tools. My parents split, right? So I, I, like, I, <laughs> I needed to deal with other classmates um, and go to their house and, and, and play with their tools, right? So I, I uh, yeah, there are stakes for me that your children is being taught by you as opposed to a professional. So my kids are fine, but then my kids are going to want to go to prom. <laughs> in 15, in 10 years, right? 10, 10, 12 years. And so like, I need my kids prom dates to not be sociopaths or not be inept, right? So I would have liked my proms, my kids prom date to have gone to school. I would like the person like I, so I need a, I need other people in order for me to interact with them and for, for my kids and for me to interact with them to have like a quality of education that's a real education and to be you know socially literate and, and actually thoughtful so so that's what's at stake for non-parent civilians and what that's what's stake and for non-parent citizens do you really want to share power which is what the political sphere is you're now sharing power with people who haven't been actually educated right so they're going to be captured by all sorts of bad arguments their knowledge of history is going to be dicey um, and this illusion that all parents are going to adequately train their kids for this world without some sort of public intervention is just, well, they just weren't, they weren't built for that. The parents weren't, and this world isn't. This world presupposes that you're going to know some general things delivered to you by professionals. 
So if you take anything out of this, it's that a lot of the reopening plans are betting on failure. They're betting on failure for the long-term project of actually destroying public education. If they weren't betting on failure, and the ones who aren't betting on failure are actively trying to find a way to decentralize public schooling. Not individualize public schooling, which is what you do in a family, but decentralize it. Um, yeah, so. But, this, but thinking about political problems with political solutions is a skill, and it's a skill that, that we've been kind of trained out of. It's unfortunate, but I think we can do better. Take this, send this video to your, to your um, school board person. And I'm going to go on Rising with Crystal Ball and talk about this. So I just kind of want to test some ideas out. So leave me in the comments what you like, what you didn't like, what I should definitely mention when I go on Rising uh, next week. And I will see you next week. Take care. Bye. If you appreciate the work I do every week and you think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, $15, or $50 a month or make one enormous donation I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more and that'll help me, you know, with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time because a lot of, in a lot of ways, freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro. So, um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute. Thanks often comes in the form of cash. And the site takes credit cards. Yeah, uh, lastly, before I forget, before I forget, this is very important. You remember, uh, you have to understand that when we're talking about homeschooling, the people who are now going to be teaching your kids are going to be this lady from uh, this last uh, uh, athens Clark County Commission meeting. And so this now is going to be the moms who are going to teach their kids about history. Athens is not Minneapolis. Athens is not Baltimore. Athens is not Atlanta. We do not have systemic racism here. Athens is not Minneapolis. Athens Another way is possible, people. Let's figure out this problem. Peace.